Welcome to Get Online from Great Plains Idea. I'm your host, Katherine Harth. Thanks for downloading this week's podcast. Get Online has expert advice and creative resources to inform and enrich the online educational experience for both students and faculty. Throughout Get Online, we talk about how online adult learners face different challenges than their on-campus peers. For example, online students can't pop into someone's office to ask questions, and they often have to fit schoolwork around family time, work, and life. Today, we are visiting with a dynamic duo of Dr. Megan Gillette and Katie Mott, a faculty member and a campus coordinator who share a passion for supporting online adult learners. They are going to share how they work together to help students from start to finish by simplifying the process and creating community so that every student can be successful. My colleague, Amanda Gannat, is our guest host for this episode. Take it away, Amanda. Thanks, Catherine. I'm here today with Dr. Megan Gillette, Associate Teaching Professor and Faculty Affiliate in the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at Iowa State University. She has been involved with the Youth Development Program since 2014 as an instructor and advisor. Joining Megan and me is Katie Mott, Iowa State Campus Coordinator. She comes from a background of education, having been a middle school teacher before pivoting to a career in higher education. Prior to her current role, she held various student affairs roles at Iowa State in the Dean of Students Office, Admissions and Financial Aid. Fun fact, Megan and Katie both have two degrees from Iowa State. Let's get started. Could you start off by telling me a little bit about how your relationship works? Katie, you're the campus coordinator or the distance education coordinator. Megan, you're the faculty member. What does that look like for you guys? Megan and I really are a team right from the start. You know, as we're talking with students, whether they're prospective students or current students, we really are working side by side from the very beginning. I like to use a, a car example where Megan is the driver. You know, she's leading the student where they need to go. I'm riding shotgun, kind of making sure the temperature's right, that we have the good music on the radio, that everybody's comfortable, and that we can go from there. Because Megan's really the one driving the student where in curriculum choice, um, professional development and whatnot. And I'm more there to, to just make sure that it's a smooth ride and that everybody gets to where they need to go. I love that analogy. It's such a great visual of like, come on, students, get in with us. We're going to we're going to help you down this road. We've got we've got the map. We've got the radio. Absolutely. And I think it allows us to really look ahead. You know, we're really looking at where we're going. We're forward thinking. I think we really try to be proactive as best we can because we know that that's in a better position for the students and for us too. And so as opposed to always reacting to things, can we kind of foresee potential roadblocks further along down the road that we can address early before we actually get to those? I would say one of the specific ways that we have done that was, you know, in terms of, you know, sometimes we have uh, students who are graduate assistants in an athletic program, for example. So Katie actually was really sort of forward thinking and saying like, okay, like let's make sure that we're partnering with the folks over in athletics, for example, to make sure that the GAs are, are getting along fine and, and meeting, you know, NCAA requirements, but also um, Iowa State requirements. And luckily she has connections across campus. So it, it really works in that sense or, you know, utilizing connections with extension outreach, not just for eight. 
said, okay, well, we can do a tuition reimbursement. So luckily, instead of just sitting on our heels, Katie was like, all right, well, let's find out exactly how that works so that we can really be proactive in terms of explaining to students how that works. Or because at the end of the semester, when they go for their reimbursement, if they don't know how to do it, they're likely to contact Katie anyway. Taking that initiative and doing that initiative together, um, you know, I was in that those meetings with the athletics. I was in those meetings with um, extension and outreach, and so I think that helps to keep us on the same plane, on the you know, in the same car, and uh, to keep us moving forward and anticipating any issues so that we can support students um, in that way. So before we go too much farther down this road um, and talking about some of the initiatives that you guys have would really like your input and your perspective about the broader issues in online education and student navigation as far as online students are concerned. In your opinion, can you talk a little bit about what you think some of the biggest challenges are for our online and adult learners there that are not physically on campus and how can we help mitigate those challenges? It's interesting just given this new world that we're living in that we're all communicating virtually and that now our students are navigating that in maybe a different way than what they did before. And so, but I still think that that is a challenge of how do we build relationships with folks in a virtual setting? And that could be how do we build a relationship with them as the university? How do they build relationships with each other? You know, having that peer group that you can kind of go through a program with, we know can be impactful. So how do we provide those opportunities for students that that we're not physically present with um, while they progress through a program? And so I think that's the biggest piece. And, and I can speak that from a someone who did do a graduate program in a cohort model, you know, where I was with 25 other people for two years, you know, that I became really close with, how can we provide those opportunities for them? And having this like online learning community that allows them to not only learn from us, but learn from each other. And I think that's something that we continue to reevaluate to try to find those opportunities for our students. And it's not only to me as the campus coordinator, Megan as the faculty member, but how do they build an affinity to Iowa State? Because at the end of the day, they're gonna get their degree or certificate through Iowa State University. And so how can they feel pride in the university? How can we get them connected? How do we let them know of resources that are available to them? And, and being able to tailor that message for our online students, because we know it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, there's going to be resources that maybe look a little bit different for online students versus on-campus students. So being able to help them navigate those, but also just promote those. We know how to navigate, obviously, our own universities much better than a student does who's in their first or second semester even. Um, And so that's always something that I try to think about when I'm working with students is knowing that many of our students have their working full-time or other full-time commitments. How can I help them navigate Iowa State in a way that doesn't impede on their ability to be successful in the classroom? You know, is there things that I can do during the day that might not be as, as available for them to reach out to somebody on campus that I can make a quick phone call or send an email and do some legwork for them so that really they have a great experience with the, with the university? Yeah, and to add on that, I mean, I think timing, not time, but timing, I think is one of the biggest barriers because 
a lot of our students are working full time and and they may have children or young children um, at home. And so the only time that they get to pay attention to their education is at nine or 10 o'clock at night when they, you know, there's nobody in the office to call. And, and there's research that backs this. You know, if you're doing research on like stop out programs and things like that, and EAB, like one of the things that they talk about a lot is that accessibility in terms of timing. And so we try to think about that. And I think more than more during the pandemic than usual, because what even is time and schedules now, but, but even prior to the pandemic, I sort of shifted to understanding that I may need to, you know, respond to an email at night. And that works for me personally, or, you know, at like Katie said, to take a step toward finding an answer on campus because a student literally does not have the time or ability to do that during the day or even, you know, holding meetings or orientations or, or um, open houses um, on a weekend, for example. And, and that was a decision that we made. And that's not a decision that everybody would be willing to make. But for us, um, in terms of supporting students, that's the sort of thing that we do. Or for example, I have students who don't live in this country who are working on their master's degrees and, and that we I have to meet with every week to do a creative component. So that means that I meet with one of my students at 6.30 p.m. Um, every Thursday because it's 7.30 a.m. her time in China. That's sort of, you know, sort of going outside those timing, sort of standard times to really serve students. So let's work start to finish because I know that you have reworked some of your processes at your campus, starting with prospective students and admission going all the way through a student's program. So how do you get them in the car per se? So, you know, you have, we have the car analogy that we're working with. How do you, how do you get a student to jump in with you? Last fall um, and then this summer, we have hosted an online open house, maybe an information session because it's basically a 45 minute presentation with both myself and Megan, and we've done it with some of our other Great Plains Idea programs as well. We allow students to come in, to join us via Zoom, and we have a PowerPoint that we do and really just go over what does the program look like? You know, we like to start with why. Why is someone interested in youth development? What sort of things can they gain from doing a program within youth development? And then explaining the admissions process, talking about the curriculum, talking about resources at Iowa State. You know, what are those value adds that they can get if Iowa State is their university that they're choosing for their program. I think what I've really enjoyed about those online open houses or information sessions is not so much the content because really everything that we're presenting, they can find online. It's more putting an actual face and voice to this experience. And really Megan and I introducing ourselves, showing our personalities, really allowing them in to see what it would be like for them as a student in working with us. Because when you think about, you know, this big commitment that students are making. I mean, think about the all the questions that you ask when you're buying a car. And this is let alone one of those big life decisions. And so we want to make sure that we answer all of their questions ahead of time, because this is an investment in not only their money, but their time. You know, we want to make sure that they understand exactly what they're getting into ahead of time. And we've really seen success with these online information sessions. We allow them to apply for free if they attend. And really the ones who've attended the information session, we've really been able to 
move them from a prospect to an applicant. And on the whole, they're the ones who are probably going to enroll because again, we've built that relationship with them. Additionally, we even, we recorded our first online information session and it's on our website. And I just talked to a student, a prospective student yesterday that said, you know, I watched that video that you and Megan did that's on your website. It was really helpful. Here are my more specific questions. So not only did it help those students who attended, it provides a way for other students who maybe that was recorded in last November or October, they're able to go back and watch that and get the information that they need, which is really exciting. So those online open houses, information sessions have been really helpful for us. And I think we we definitely want to continue those in the future and maybe even tailoring some of those you know, like, could we do one for just extension employees? Could we, we've looked at this in other programs. Do we kind of take our show on the virtual road and go to other places where we offer it over the lunch hour for various industry leaders? And so I think it provides a great way for folks to do this. And again, we are benefiting from the current environment. And I think people are more likely to tune into something like that and kind of watch something more passively because that's what they're doing in other areas of their life currently. So that's been a a really good one. I don't know if you had anything about the online information session, Megan. Well, see, I mean, do you see that? Like, I hadn't heard about these ideas to go take our, take it on the road, but these are the sorts of like forward thinking ideas that Katie comes up with. And she's like, you want to get in the car with me while we do this? And I'm like, sure. Take me along for the ride. So like we did the open house on a Saturday morning, for example, we did, um, we had three different programs. And then, so Katie had a chunk of her Saturday morning and it was just bing, bang, boom, like nine, 10 and 11 AM. And I will say that the students who did attend these, they are much more communicative. Wouldn't you say Katie? Like they're much more likely to email us, even with the smallest question, they're much more likely to call or, or anything like that. So I think, I think it's made a big difference. Yeah, what a great opportunity to open the communication channels and make sure that students feel like they're at home and they know what they're signing up for and who they're signing up with. My next question for you, moving on down the road a little bit, we know a lot of us know that university processes can be a little complex and sometimes there's more than one office involved or more than one stop involved in, say, applying and finding out if you've been admitted to the to the program or to the college. I know that you have done some work to the application and admissions process for your program on your campus. Could you just talk a little bit about what that might look like for a prospective student and specifically one or two things that maybe you changed to try and make it more available to an online student? You know, we're we're wanting to make sure that we adhere to the requirements of our graduate college. So there are certain things that are required, but there are also things that maybe aren't required. So like, for instance, a lot of our graduate programs at Iowa State require three letters of recommendation. That might be fine for a student that's coming straight from undergrad or that is really dedicated to the field that they're entering and they're more on like PhD track. The students that we're working with, and after doing some research with other similar programs at Iowa State, we thought, you know, do do they really need to do three letters of recommendation? And they'd be able to get two letters of recommendation, but for whatever reason, that third one was always slow coming in. And after talking with the faculty, they said, you know, the letters of recommendation are helpful, but we're really looking at the statement of purpose. Why is a student interested in the program? Um, What are their eventual career goals? What are the things that they um, would bring to the program? How, How are they prepared? to enter graduate coursework. And the letters of rec really 
can just add to that. And so one of the things we did was drop the letter required letters from three to two because we thought it would be easier for students. It still has that element of accountability, let's say, of, of someone being able to share insight about the student. But we just thought, you know, it's really not necessary to do three and it could really stall the process for students. And so I think students really appreciate that. They can still list three people and then I just usually take whatever two come in first and move them along in the process. And we really looked at from like start to finish, how long does this process take? Like in an ideal world, once we have everything, can we get it through in two to three weeks? And we really have been able to. Um, And how we've streamlined some of the things on our side and using kind of like a different system and allowing faculty to access the materials through the admissions portal. It's really, I think, helped the student. It creates generated reminders to faculty when a due date is approaching. And and given our program with how we admit students year-round, we really needed a system that allowed us to do that as opposed to a hard and fast deadline. And we review everyone after that. And then we close the book until next year at that time. We needed to find a system that allowed us to review people all the time to have it constantly going. And it's really worked well. We, it rolled out right before the pandemic and thank goodness our faculty members were willing to work with us as we kind of hit some roadblocks initially with um, just access and things like that when we were all working from home. But it's really humming along right now. And I, and I think, again, it helps the students because they know what to expect. And I tell them when I've moved their application materials to faculty review and I have say, you know, within two to three weeks, I'll be contacting you with a result. And so that really, I think, providing them that constant feedback and constant sort of check-in point. I think it's vulnerable enough to apply to a graduate program um, and put yourself out there in that way. And so having an open communication with the people who are involved are helpful. And I realize we're unique in that we control everything from start to finish at Iowa State. You know, as, as we work with students, I'm really doing everything with them with the application piece, they they work with me directly. And I know that that's sort of taken out of other folks' responsibilities, maybe on other campuses. What I appreciate is that it really sets the stage from the very beginning, that you know, I'm talking with a student during a virtual information session. I'm their contact when they apply. I'm their contact when they get registered every semester. And so that continuity piece, I think, just reinforces to them that there's someone who cares about them, that it's a real person. It's the same person. You know, they're not having to go to like five different people to complete five different steps of the process. We can kind of be that one conduit for them to really start and to continue on throughout their time towards degree or certificate completion. Yes, so much value in having that point of contact and that this is where I can go to get an answer. Or if Katie doesn't know the answer, she's going to know someone that I can talk to. And there's some comfort in that for a student to come to either of you and say, I don't know what to do next. Help me. And they know that you're talking to each other and that you know your campus. Megan, are there things you want to talk about with the admissions process from the faculty perspective? You know, campus coordinators aren't just supporting students, but like Katie has provided a lot of support to us as faculty. And in terms of the admissions process, like she said, we changed it up a little bit and you started using sort of a different system. It's a little bit more automated. One of the things that she did to help support faculty was she put together like a PDF of like, okay, here's how you go into the system and here's how you do it when you are off campus because you have to use your, is it a VPN? Is that the acronym? 
Yeah. Right? And I don't know about any of that. Right. So like, here's how you do this and this, and here's highlighted. And like nearly every time I think we have a new applicant, she'll email us and let us know and say, okay. And then she'll include that PDF as well, because it's not like we're doing this all the time. At least we're not <laughs> like doing admissions every single day. Right. I don't think anybody is, but it's sort of sporadic. And so even just in terms of supporting faculty, so that I'm like, okay, I don't exactly remember how to do this because the last time I did this was like a month ago, but don't worry because Katie sent me the instructions for how to do it. And, and that also helps to streamline. I know the students don't see that, but it helps us get our part done quicker. I'm definitely noticing a theme with the two of you and it's communication. You guys are talking to your students. You're talking to each other. It is just opening so many doors, setting the stage for success for your students and for your program. So I want to talk a little bit more once you've got these students admitted. So they're here and they're excited. They're in the car. You're playing their favorite song and you're ready to take off down the road. Can you talk a little bit about what students should expect from you as Katie as the campus coordinator Megan, as a faculty member, what do they, what kind of interactions do they have with you when it comes to enrollment or paying tuition or dropping a class? How does that work for you guys? The registration piece obviously happens every semester and those GPIDS sections, our students can't register themselves for anyway. So it kind of like forces them to interact with us every semester as they try to get registered. I will communicate with them and copy Megan of here's all the courses that are available, you know, chat with Megan about if you have questions about specific courses. You'll do the process point with me, with Megan. It's more of the actual selection piece. And students have really done well with that. And I think it's, as Megan and I communicate, sometimes I'll be, you know, a student will say, I want to take my creative component this semester. I'll always confirm with Megan because obviously she'll be the instructor. So she needs to be aware. But it seems to have worked really well. And I, I think a lot of the things that, that I think about too in the processes that we do, and, and Megan and I have talked about it, is that it, it lives so much in ease email and like what happens if one of us goes down and we have to like pivot pretty quickly. And so like one of the things that we started doing was instead of them emailing me what they wanted to take, they would fill out a form and that that form is shared with Megan so that Megan can see it. We're still kind of getting to a point where to see exactly how that works, but it's also looking at how are the processes that we're doing, can they be adjusted to scale? Like, let's say that we all of a sudden have 20 more students over the next two years. That becomes a lot trickier if we want to provide that individual attention, those personal touches for students. How can we make that we're working smarter, not harder, uh, of, of making sure that students are being served? And so I think it's still resides in this relationship and this communication piece, but how can we scale those items to make sure that we're not spinning our wheels too much and making sure that we're being as efficient as we can. And so that has, has really worked out well in terms of this once a semester communication. I think we also though saw like, especially with when university reminders were going out related to COVID updates, we saw this in the spring. It really brought to light that maybe we should be, be more proactively communicating with our students and providing sort of that personal touch about how do different things on campus affect them. At some point, you know, there's, we have like a college newsletter that, but are there ways that we can communicate with them about upcoming important deadlines? Because we know, obviously, just getting an email once might not catch their attention. And so being able to follow up with students, and I think we communicate really well, but 
are there ways that we can even bring that to a different level of making sure that that we're all on the same page? Again, trying to be proactive here. We want to tell you what's coming up ahead as opposed to, oh my gosh, the graduation deadline is next week and you haven't applied yet. You know, we want to be able to help them navigate those different things um, so it doesn't come as a surprise. If somebody wants like an easy answer to that question or, or sort of an easy fix, I would just say CC on on emails. Now that means more emails, but that works for me and Katie anyway. But I mean, that's just, even just that small thing has actually been really powerful. What a great tip. All right. So I have a couple of other questions for you, a little more broad, less about the actual journey in the car, but can you talk to me a little bit about how some of the ways that you work to create community for your students so that they feel a connection to one another while they're in the program? We, we talked early on about, you know, some programs have cohorts, but this program does not. And so are there things that you guys do to try and to bring that, com- that sense of community for your online students? Well, I would say one of the initiatives that we started was um, this online learning community and we, you know, because those questions you're asking, actually, I don't know if we fully have the answers yet in terms of how we do that well, but um, it's certainly on our plate. What we did was we use Canvas. So Iowa State's learning management system is Canvas. And so um, we said, okay, well, why don't we use Canvas and create a virtual online learning community? And Katie had a, a, a grad assistant who helped design that. And, you know, we spent a lot of time sort of figuring out what all needed to be on there and what information would be available to students. And now it's sort of a hub for information. Like we have a how to graduate tab, right? And all the things they need to do for that. We have resources um, that are available to Iowa State students, all these sorts of things. And then there's also... I've not seen it utilized, so we need to figure out something more with this. But the idea was that there'd be a discussion board thread in there where people could get in and they could say, you could talk about things that they want. Um, a few times I've gotten in there and sent an announcement or made an announcement about a, a job position. Here, everyone, like, here's a job announcement. Ideally, we would, I think, try to find more ways or more effective ways to build community within that virtual space, but we haven't quite done that yet. Our main goal was getting the admissions process updated and then COVID happened. So, All right. I have one last question that I would love each of you to answer. And that is, if you could give online learners one piece of advice, what would you tell them? I would say really utilize the folks who are there for you. At least at Iowa State, sometimes I think we think, especially students in graduate programs, like, well, they should know how to navigate this and, and they, you know, they're a different type of student and whatnot. And that, well, that's true. I also think, though, they're navigating a lot of other stuff as well. You know, we're seeing really strong enrollment this fall, and I'm always very mindful of that is not only are these people starting a grad program, they might be working full-time, they might be doing virtual learning with their family at home full-time. You know, there's just a lot of different hats that they're wearing. And so utilizing the resources that are available to at least start the conversation. And I think that goes back to, I love it when students engage with us. You know, there's only so much that we can do in terms of reaching out. I think when students really take us up on those offers and really do utilize us, that brings me the 
the most happiness because that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to make sure that they have a great experience. And so, you know, sometimes students will be like, I'm, I'm really sorry about this or whatnot. And I'm like, that's what I'm here for. This is why I have a job is to be there for you and to help you navigate the things that, that, that you're encountering and, and how can we best do that for them. And so I think, again, develop a relationship with at least one person that's like your go-to and whether the university provides that in a formal setting like Iowa State does with a campus coordinator where you finding that person, you know, find your tribe, love them hard is kind of what I, what I think about. Megan, what about you? One piece of advice for online students. Um, I think it would be similar to Katie in terms of, I think the word that comes to mind is engage, like engage as much, you know, lean on the people who are responsible for helping you through this program, right? So like Katie said, whether it's the campus coordinator or whether it's a faculty member, you know, we're here for that. And because when you do that, then I think you're really getting more bang for your buck or you're getting what you have paid for. Like it's not lost on us how expensive higher education anyway is. And so, you know, we will be here to help you and support you. And and I think that's even true within classes. So from a faculty member's perspective, you know, I don't want to say that like, online classes are what you make it because it makes it seem like it's all on the student, but like you need a good instructor as well. But more often than not, I think you're going to have a good instructor, but if you're just sort of, you know, only doing the bare minimum in the class, you're really not going to get a whole lot out of it. And then you're going to get done and you're going to be like, well, geez, like, I don't even know what I learned or I don't even know. I didn't even get to talk to anybody. Well, there were likely opportunities or to connect with other students and discussion boards or, or to connect with the instructor, um, you know, for this or that, or to talk about that assignment. You know, if you don't engage in, in any way with anybody or, you know, not very much, then you're going to get so much less than what we would love for you to have. Thank you both for sharing. It has been a true pleasure to visit with you today. And thank you to Amanda for being our guest host. It seems like lately online learning has been getting a bad rap. I'm thankful that this episode was able to highlight two people who are passionate about supporting online learners. For our next episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Tammy Shelton, who will pull back the curtain to online learning and help us understand what it actually takes for an educator to move their class online. She will even include an explanation of how online teaching is like the musical Hamilton. You can download other Great Plains Idea episodes on your favorite podcast app or visit our website to learn more about Great Plains Idea. Just go to www.gpidea.org. I'm your host, Katherine Harth, and until next time, get online!